0: This past month has been a, a busy month for, for many of us, for myself included. It's been a month of goodbyes. A couple of weeks ago, uh, well, beginning of last month, my company separated 3,000 people from employment, many of whom I knew for a long time. And it's hard to say goodbye in, in that kind of a difficult context. The following week, my boss decided to, re- to retire. And so this past Friday, we celebrated his life and his time with us, and and we said goodbye. Yesterday, we were invited to um, a memorial service at the White Lake Campus to say goodbye to a man that I've known for many years, who's been a source of encouragement to me and my family, and we said goodbye to him. And so goodbyes are never easy, but they come. They're part of life, and yet goodbyes are never fun, and they're never easy. That must have been what the disciples must have been feeling like when Jesus told them, I'm leaving. That the time has come and that he is leaving, and he has to spend time with them, encouraging them, supporting them, and giving them words of encouragement after three and a half years of spending time with them, after three and a half years of teaching them like no one else has ever taught, of doing miracles and works that no one has ever seen, of of this person whom they were convinced was the Messiah, he tells them he's leaving. You can imagine the turmoil in their heart, the trepidation, the anxiety, the fear, the worry about what the future might hold for them. And Jesus speaks into the midst of all of that to allay their fears and to ease their troubled hearts. And encourages them. We are in the middle of studying through the farewell discourse found in the Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 16. And we today are in John chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, a good time perhaps to turn there. John chapter 14. And last week we saw Jesus continue to encourage his disciples, specifically telling them, Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let it be afraid, because I'm going, that's true, but I'm going to do something. I'm going to prepare dwelling places, places where you and I can live together, just spend time together forever. And when I go, I will come back. And Jesus emphasized the fact that he alone is the way and the truth and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. The way to heaven and the way to God is through Jesus and Jesus alone. That's what he talked about last week. And Jesus now continues to pour encouragement into the lives of his disciples. He continues to encourage them, continues to teach, continues to uh, pour his life into them. And he transitions now from talking about himself to talking about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, most Christians intellectually know that there is a Holy Spirit, but they don't engage with him. They don't care to understand who he is and what he does and his place in the purposes of God and in the life of a believer. We know that he exists, but what he does, eh, who cares? That's kind of the attitude that most people have when we think of the Holy Spirit. Some people are like, yeah, that's this mystical, weird person that, yeah, I don't know what he does. Well, I'm hoping to change that this morning through the words of Jesus. We're going to look specifically at verses 15 to 31. So the rest of this chapter, chapter 14, Jesus is going to talk about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does in the life of a believer. And this is by no means the end of it. As we continue in the farewell discourse, Jesus will continue to address the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. So this is perhaps the introduction. I will tell you that I have no time really in front of me to dive deep into any of this. All we can do is skim the top of the trees to get your appetite wet. And my hope is that by doing so, some of you will go out and dive deeper into the person and the work of the Spirit in the life of a believer. But what I hope to communicate this morning to you as we look at these verses is that the Spirit is sent to us to help us on our way. That Jesus sends the Spirit to us to help us on our way. And in order to unpack that and unpack these verses I want to share with you three lessons, three, three three truths, excuse me, three truths that we can learn from this passage about how the spirit helps us along our way. The first is that the spirit of truth dwells within us. I'm reading from John chapter 14 starting in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Let's just take a breath right there because there is a lot right here in in these verses. And Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving you alone. I am going to send you another helper. Now we use the word another in all kinds of contexts, in all kinds of use cases, but the Greek language is very specific. The, The Greek word used here for for another, is the word "allos," And it means another of the same kind. To give you an idea of what that means practically, you know, if I go out to eat, perhaps a nice restaurant with my wife, you know, after dinner, I like to get dessert. And so the dessert will come, and I will take a bite, and if I like it, my wife might be tempted to take a bite. If she likes it, that dessert is no longer mine. It's hers. And so I have to call the waiter back and say, excuse me, can I have, oh, you've been there. (laughs) You're shaking your head. Can I have another? What do I mean? I want that dessert again. I want another of the same kind. I don't want peach cobbler. I don't want that. I want that. Because I like that. I want another of the same kind. That's what Jesus is saying. When I leave, I am going to send you another dessert. Helper, another of the same kind. Everything that Jesus is, this helper is as well. Jesus is God, the helper is God. Everything Jesus is and does, the helper is and does. He is another of the same kind as Jesus. And the word that we use in in the ESV, at least, is another helper. Some of your translations might have the word comforter or advocate or some other translated uh, word in there. And the reason that there are so many different translations is because the word is very difficult to translate, because it means a lot of different things. The Greek word is paraclete, and you may have heard that. The word paraclete literally means to come alongside. In referend, it usually refers to an attorney, who comes alongside to give legal advice. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you another of the same kind to help you, to advise, to counsel, to comfort, to mediate, to give strength to you. Another helper, one who is called alongside of. So when you're going through dark times, the paraclete comes to shine light on your path. When you're suffering with disease or sickness or something else, the paraclete comes to be a friend to give you the strength you need to help you face an unknown future. When you are in trouble, it's the paraclete who comes to rescue us out of trouble. And when we are going through our loneliness and depression, it's the paraclete that comes alongside to be a friend and whispers to us that we are never alone. That's the paraclete, one who comes alongside of us and helps us and strengthens us, advises us, and blesses us. And the beautiful thing here that Jesus talks about is that while he is leaving, this helper, this another of the same kind, is coming, and when he comes, he will never leave you. We get to have this helper forever, forever. He's permanent. He's never leaving. And therefore, we can trust in the fact that the Holy Spirit of God, the helper, will be with us forever. And when you go to verse number 17, Jesus tells us that the Spirit is not someone that the world can see or know, but it's someone who comes to be with us and to live in us. You know, this is one of the great mysteries of the Christian life. In, in fact, this, I think, separates Christianity from all the other philosophies and religions of the world. No other philosophy or religion in the world ever teaches the intimate relationship that Christians have with God. God lives in us. Just let the weight of the words sink into your minds just a minute. The God of the universe who created heaven and earth, lives where? In us. us. No other religion has ever had the bravery to say something like that, except Jesus. The intimacy, the relationship that we have with God is unlike anyone else or anywhere else. God lives in us. Friends, that's what's happening right now. He's in you. And He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He's made His home in you. And in verse number 18, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit comes to live within us so that we won't feel like orphans. You know, those disciples were certainly feeling like orphans. Jesus, who after three and a half years says, I'm leaving. And orphans, how do they feel? They feel abandoned. They feel worthless. But Jesus says to them, look, guys, you guys are anything but abandoned or worthless. You are so precious to me. I'm sending you another of the same kind to live with you, to be in you, to comfort you, to help you, to guide you along the way. I'm coming to live in you. Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit to live in us, to encourage us forever so we don't have to feel worthless. We don't have to feel abandoned. We don't have to feel alone because we're never alone. In verses 19 to 20, Jesus goes on to say that the world won't see him again, but that the disciples would. Well, how is that possible? You see, for the next 24 hours, Jesus is going to be betrayed and arrested. That's going to lead to a false trial, and that false trial is going to end in the crucifixion and death of Jesus. Up to that point, the world would continue to see Jesus, and Jesus would be taken off that cross and put in a tomb. And after that point the world no longer sees Jesus. Because after three days, when Jesus rises from the grave, he no longer appears to the general public. He appears to who? Only to his disciples. He only appears to his followers. The world no longer gets to see Jesus. Only his disciples, his followers, get to see Jesus. And that's why Jesus says, I won't show myself to the world anymore. I'm only showing myself to you. And so Jesus says, and because I'm showing myself to you, because I live, you also will live. Isn't that awesome? That Jesus who rises from the dead, who comes alive from the dead, who now is alive and alive forevermore, because Jesus lives, you and I get to live forever, amen? That we have life in ourselves because Jesus lives. In fact, let me tell you how Paul says it in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Friends, it's a new reality. It's a new vitality that comes when the spirit of God comes to dwell in us. We go from being dead to being alive, amen? We go from being nothing and dead in our sins and our trespasses to being alive to Jesus Christ, amen? Because he lives, we too will live. I love that line. Because he lives, I'm alive today. And not only will he be in us, but we will be in him. There's a mystic union that occurs between Jesus and us, between God and us. In fact, he says that we not only get the Holy Spirit to live in us, but we are united with him. That there's this mystic union that wraps us together in a union and a unity that we can't explain And that he in us and we in him kind of mystic union mirrors the union that exists between God the Father and God the Son. And because we can't understand that, we can't understand this either. It's hard to explain, and I don't have words to explain it to you, just to say he lives in us and we are in him. If you don't believe that, all you gotta do is read Ephesians chapter one, and you can read all of the wonderful blessings that we have in Christ. We are in him, and he lives in us. And so all of this is available for those of us who meet the qualifications of verse number 15. Did you guys remember verse number 15? If you love me, you will keep my... Oh, man, did we have to go there? You were hoping I skipped that verse, didn't you? But I can't. You see, the Spirit of God comes to dwell in the lives of those who love Jesus and are motivated by that love to follow his commandments. It's to trust and obey because there is no other way. It's to obey what Jesus has spoken because when you love someone, obedience isn't very hard, is it? I didn't understand that till I became a parent. I understand that very quickly now. Obedience isn't hard for someone we love. And if we love Jesus... Obedience shouldn't be hard for us. But I have to tell you, if you're anything like me, it's hard. Isn't it? It's tough some days. And yet I always have to fall back onto the fact that Jesus loves me. And because of that, I love him back. And we who love him and who obey his commandments, we get the presence of the Spirit of God to dwell within us. The reality of this passage is that Jesus has left us, but he hasn't left us alone. He has given us the companionship of the Spirit of God who comes to live within us. Another of the same kind, a helper, an advocate, who comes alongside of us to encourage us, to help us, to empower us to live in this world for his glory. The Spirit comes to dwell within us. That's one of the ways that Jesus sends the Spirit to help us on our way. Not only does the Spirit indwell us, but secondly, the Spirit keeps us in the truth. make our home with him. Whoever does not love me keeps not my, whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. In verse number 21, we're once again confronted with this paradigm of love and obedience, that those two are linked together in profound ways, that if we love Jesus, we will keep his commandments. Friends, there's, there's, There's no argument. That's just the way it is. Love propels us to obedience. And then Jesus says that he's no longer going to manifest himself to the world, only to his disciples. The word manifest means to show, to make plain, to demonstrate. And so that raises a question in the minds of the disciples. And all of a sudden, Judas raises his hand. Now Judas, if he were living today, would have a hashtag. His hashtag would be not Iscariot. Like, nobody wants to be known as that guy. Okay, Judas, hashtag not Iscariot, raises his hand and said, I got a question. I'm the not Iscariot guy. I don't understand Jesus. Because in their minds, you have to remember, they're still thinking that Jesus has come to overthrow Rome, to establish a messianic kingdom, and to demonstrate that he is who he says to the world. They're waiting for Jesus to do that. And so what Jesus is now saying Doesn't fit the paradigm. It doesn't fit the mental model that they have for Jesus. It doesn't fit in the box. So, Jesus, how does this work? Why are you saying this? Why would you not manifest yourself to the world, but only to us? And you know what Jesus goes back to and answers him? Love and obey. That's the answer. Love and obey. Jesus, I don't understand. What does that have to do with showing yourself to the world and only to us? I don't get it. Here's the way that works. What Jesus is saying is if you want Jesus to show himself to you, you have to love him and obey him. That only for those who love Jesus and obey his word and follow his heart, Jesus shows more of himself to you. More intimacy, more deeper relationship, more depth of his love get revealed to those who love him and follow his commandments. You want more of Jesus? Follow his commandments. Oh, man, do I have to? Like, like couldn't we, like, climb Mount Everest instead? No. Love him. Obey his commandments. That's hard to do in a world that we live in. It starts with surrendering ourselves to him and say, Lord, <clears throat> do whatever you got to do. Help me to love you and obey you because I want more of you. And so Judas asks the question, but Jesus answers it totally differently. And, he, and Jesus goes on to say that if you love me and you keep my commandments, in verse number 23, he says, we will come to you and make our home in you. We. Notice that word We. That's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The triune God in their fullness is going to come and live inside us. In fact, in verse 23, the word home that's used there is the same word that's used back up in verse number two that we translate dwelling place. So while Jesus is going to make dwelling places for us so that he can take us and we can live together forever with him, until that day comes, he makes us home in our heart. He will dwell in our heart. Isn't that an awesome thought? That while we wait for that day when he comes to take us home, home is in our heart. That he makes his home in the hearts of those who love him and give obedience to his commandments. And so that raises the question, what enables us to keep his commandments? Is it our strength, our resources, our ability, our smarts? What's the answer church? Absolutely not. It's the helper. The one that he sent into our hearts, the one who comes to live alongside of us, he's the one who empowers us, encourages us, strengthens us, reminds us, and helps us to live according to Jesus's commandments. You know, I trained all of my three children how to ride a bike you know, you start, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. You start with a small bike with training wheels and you let them get used to that. And then one day you take the training wheels off and you say, get on. And they say, no, put those back on. Sorry, I can't do that. It'll be okay. I'm, I'm right here with you. And after a lot of coaxing and encouraging and bribing, usually a lot of bribing, they get on <clears throat> and then they start pedaling and they start going. And they start going, and then they go faster, and they go faster, and they're screaming in delight, and they go, I did it! I can do it! I can do it! And all the while, they don't realize that Daddy's hand is holding the seat, and Daddy's out of breath. They are upright and not fallen, because Daddy's holding the seat. Friends, you and I very much think that, like the kids who, ride their bike for the first time, we think we got it. We think we can pedal. We think we can do it. All the while forgetting the fact that the Spirit of God is the one holding the bike, holding our hand, keeping us from falling, keeping us in the Word, keeping us in Jesus. It's the Spirit of God who dwells within us, who keeps us in the truth. And that's how the Spirit of God helps us along the way. And I can't thank God enough for the fact that the Spirit helps me to keep His commandments. It's not up to me all the time. It's up to the Spirit of God working in me in all of His power and all of His glory to empower me to live for His glory. Amen? The third way, the last way we see here about how the Holy Spirit helps us along the way is that the Spirit teaches us the truth. Reading from verse number 25, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe." I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I, that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Can I ask you a question? How many of you remember last week's sermon? Oh, man. One? One? Two. Two of you are brave enough to raise your hand. Three, thank you. It wasn't me who preached. Okay, how many of I'm not, I shouldn't ask the next question. How many of you remember the message I preached a month ago? Don't answer, don't raise your hand, it's okay. You know, some of you will come, with, come to me and say, Abe, hey, do you remember that sermon you preached a couple of months ago where you said something like this, and, and I had a question, and usually you'll see a very blank look on my face. You know why? I don't remember. <laughs> I'm trying desperately to remember what I got to preach this week let alone know what I preached a month ago or months ago. Please keep asking. It's OK. The Spirit of God works amazing things. But, um, but it's interesting that we can't remember what we said last week. And I always wonder, how is it that these 11 disciples could remember exactly what Jesus said and exactly what Jesus did and write it down so clearly and so accurately in the pages of Scripture for us to read thousands of years later? How is that possible? How is that possible, church? Oh, you know the answer. I'm so glad. Great answer. It's the Holy Spirit because his job when he comes into our lives to help us not only love and obey Jesus is to remind us of all that Jesus taught and everything that Jesus did. That's his role in our hearts. That was the role for the disciples, to remind them to help them remember all that Jesus had said and did so that they could accurately write down everything correctly for us to learn and to understand thousands of years later. That same spirit that worked in their hearts to do that works in ours. To bring to remembrance verses we memorized when we were in Awana. To bring to mind verses that we read last morning. To bring to remembrance words that we may have heard or a snippet of a message or something that the Spirit of God wants to use in some context. He brings to memory and we get to use it because the Spirit of God is working in our hearts. Any of you know what I'm talking about? You've been there, haven't you? When all of a sudden, it, sh- it clicks, and you, you get to share something that you memorized a long time ago. The Spirit of God works in our hearts to bring to memory all that Jesus said and all that Jesus did. And he gets to help us remember the words that we are reading. But many of us, you know, we are, we are stuck. We, you know, we read Genesis to Leviticus every year, right? And we get stuck in Leviticus, and then we give up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Maybe we should start in Matthew. <laughs> Maybe I, our New Year's resolution is Lord, let me start reading the Bible and I will start in Matthew and see how far I can get instead of starting in Genesis and figuring it out from there. Because God can't add to your mind what isn't there, He can bring to remembrance what is. Read, study, learn, and the God who lives in you will bring all of that to mind at the right time, at the right place for his glory and for your good. So read, study. It's God's word written thousands of years ago, but it never fades, it never passes away. And notice what he says here that the spirit of God does. Not only does he bring back to memory all the things that Jesus did. By the way, if you read the gospel of John, John several times writes a very interesting passage or verse in in his gospel. He says that after Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples understood what he said. Several times he says that. You know why? Because they didn't get it when Jesus was with them. It didn't click in their heads. They were too stubborn. They were too locked up in their box to get what Jesus was saying or doing. But on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out and the church came to life, all of a sudden, the Spirit of God started to take all the puzzle pieces and put them in all the gaps. And all of a sudden, they started making sense. It started clicking in their heads and all the things that Jesus said and all the things Jesus did, it started to make sense. Friends, when you're reading the scriptures and it doesn't make sense, ask. The Spirit will teach you. Ask and you shall... When's the last time you asked? Lord, I don't understand this. This doesn't make a bit of sense to me. Teach me. Show me, help me. And you know what the truth is? He will. He will. Because that's what He has been given to us to do, to make sense of what Jesus has said and done. In verse number 27, I got to run here. Verse number 27, Jesus repeats many of the things that he stated back in verse number one. He repeats one more time. Yes, he's leaving. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. Why not? Because the Spirit of God is coming. The Holy Spirit that's going to be with you forever is going to be in you. And when that Spirit comes, he brings with him peace. Peace is the inheritance of the believer. You see, the world defines peace as the absence of war and conflict. How are we doing in the world today? Not so good, is it? Peace can't seem to be found. Many people find peace at the bottom of a bottle, or with drugs, or with tranquilizers, or a number of other avenues or means. But the truth is, none of those means can ever give lasting peace. The only place lasting peace can ever be found is in the presence of God and in the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. That's where peace can be found. And that's what Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, because peace that Jesus gives doesn't care about circumstances. Our life can be upside down. It may be a chaotic mess, but if you have the peace of Christ living inside your heart, it doesn't matter because your peace of God calms our heart and it calms our mind. You see, the peace of God doesn't change with circumstances. It doesn't crack under the external pressures of life. It doesn't get thwarted by events that happened that we didn't plan for. The peace of God remains the peace of God in your hearts and in your lives because the peace of God tells you through the Spirit of God that lives within you, exactly where you are when the world turns upside down. Do you know where you are when the world turns upside down? In the palm of his hand. You're right there in the palm of his hand. And because the world doesn't know that, you can stand in the midst of the fiercest storm. Hurricanes come, and they do. Earthquakes come, and they do. Tornadoes come, and they do. Wars will ravage the world, and they will. But if you know exactly where you are, you can have the peace of God. Amen? that the Spirit of God comes into your heart to tell you exactly who you are and exactly where you are so that you don't have to be rattled or shaken or worry or be anxious because you know who's got you in the palm of his hand. It's not me who put myself there. Jesus did that for me. Amen? And when you know where you are, you have the peace of God in your hearts. Amen? And Jesus now concludes in verse number 28. And 29 and on to the end of the chapter, and he says he looks forward towards what's coming. He looks forward to the greatest battle ever fought in history, and he says that he is on a collision course with the ruler of this world. The ruler of this world is a reference to the wicked one, to the devil, and Jesus is on a head-on collision. And that head-on collision is going to result in scorn, in humiliation, in suffering, And ultimately, it's going to end in death. Jesus knows what's coming. And yet, notice the confidence as Jesus says that the devil has no claim on me. There's nothing that the enemy can do to put a claim on Jesus. There's nothing that he can grab onto to pull Jesus down, which means victory is assured. And even though Jesus is going to die, it's not because the enemy wins. It's because Jesus willingly surrenders his life and his will to the fathers. And he says to the father, not my will, yours be done. And so lovingly, willingly, Jesus becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus knows that in just a few hours that his death is imminent. And yet he pours his life into these people, these disciples and into you and me Reminding us that we have help along the way. That the Spirit of God has been sent to dwell in us, to keep us in truth, and to teach us the truth, so that we might continue to live for Him, to love Him, and to obey His commandments, so that He might be glorified, and that this world might come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, may I introduce Him to you? May I point you to the cross? where the perfect, spotless Lamb of God died in your place and mine. He didn't die because he was the criminal, but you and I were. He died in our place. He suffered, he bled, he died, paying the penalty that you and I could never pay so that you and I might have a relationship with God that we don't deserve. If you don't know Jesus Christ, but the Spirit of God is working in your life, convicting you, friends, why don't you come? And receive him as your Savior. You may have a lot of things planned today, and they all may be good, but nothing is more important than your eternity. And what you decide today will impact that eternity forever. It starts with saying, Lord, I'm sorry for the things I've done. I'm sorry for my sins. I ask you to forgive me. Would you come into my heart? Would you be Savior and Lord? I receive you as my Savior. Be the Lord of my life. If you're willing to pray that prayer, and surrender your life to him. He'll come into your life and he will save you and the spirit of the living God will come inside of your heart and give you a peace that you cannot explain that'll settle your heart and settle your mind and give you an eternity in the dwelling places that Jesus has gone to prepare for us. Children of God, if you are here, I'm so thankful for you. But Lord, let's not be ignorant of the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. Let's surrender our lives and continue to surrender our lives to him so that he can continue to teach us his word, to continue to motivate us in love, that in our love for him, we might find ourselves obedient to him so that the world might know that Jesus truly lives in us. Amen.